Hey everybody, welcome back. This is With Zero Authority and I'm Corey. And I'm Will. It's good to be back. It's been, I think, three or four weeks maybe? Uh, about three weeks, yeah. Thanks to Irma. Thanks to Irma. Irma, you're so great. And then a, a plethora of other storms. Yeah, yeah. The uh, For those of you that didn't know, now you do, we're down in Florida. Yeah. So the... Uh, yeah. The hurricane season kind of pushed good, things good back South a little bit. South Florida vibes going on in this, uh, this office here. How did you like your first hurricane season? Uh, it was it was it was interesting to see um, people a week out purchasing truckloads worth of water. <laughs> I mean, it seemed as though they were prepping for something that could only be seen in like a Fallout game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was a little frustrating, but other than that, being a prepper, it's part yeah. of uh, being a Floridian. Yeah, no, it it seems to be. So. Uh, our issue here wasn't only Irma. Uh, we had a storm also. I mean, it wiped out the Keys, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and that's mostly due to their lax building codes. Um, well, and it was just a beastly Yeah, beastly it was a beastly storm. storm, but they also had shanties. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the Cuba's lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. Um, but also, there was Maria. Yeah. Uh, Maria hit Puerto Rico. Yep. Puerto Rico is mostly still without power. Yeah, I think... Today's numbers, nine days after the storm hit, were yeah. around like 80%, I think, still out of power. But don't worry. The U.S. federal government is on the case. We got it covered. And they're making sure that Colin Kaepernick stands up <laughs> during the national anthem. That's like the progression of things, right? Once Colin stands, power comes back on. Yes. Absolutely. It's like, it's like if you believe in fairy tale, uh, in fairies, the fairies will come alive. It's just an unbelievable world that we live in. So let's talk about this again. Uh, I feel like when we had the radio show at the university, um, we probably had this discussion considering how frequent this comes up. It, it's yeah. almost like the North Korea thing in that it fades away and then it comes back and then it fades away and now yeah. it's back again. So um, let's talk about it. What happened? Who said what? How did this begin? Who instigated it? It was obviously the president, but what did he say? Well, uh, so... I don't know. How far back do you want to go? To the, let's go to Trump's Do you want to go speech. to Kaepernick, or do you let's, want to just go, go to, to last speech. month or two? We'll talk about Kaepernick, but let's talk about Trump's speech. The son of a bitch's speech? Yeah. The son of a bitch speech. Yeah. Um, not something you'd really ever expect a president to say. At least not in public, no. Not something you ever really expect him to accuse football players yeah. of being. Yeah. I mean, grown men. This was this was an unbelievable speech in many facets. Yeah. Um, What's, what this, was the forum? Set the stage. Where was the speech so given? Trump was. Uh, there were two rallies where he said this. So, pick your pick your poison. We'll talk about the Luther Strange one where he reiterated it. But okay. essentially, Trump was making the assertion, and this was a crowd that was not really favorable to a lot of the actions that Trump had taken down in down in Bama. Uh, they weren't really too on board with some of the actions Trump had taken in the prior week. They also weren't huge fans of uh, the candidate that he had been supporting vocally, Luther yep. Strange, over uh, Roy Moore. We'll get into that in another segment here. Um, and I feel like, and maybe this would be giving him too much credit because I don't think he's a schemer. I don't think he's capable of that. But I think Trump decided to just throw some red meat out at that rally. Uh, and what came out was a comment that was right out of the greatest hits of neoconservative bullshit. Can you quote it? Uh, yeah, um, that son of a bitch, get him <laughs> off the field, fire him. Um, he was referring 
to those football players when they kneel during the anthem. Um, and he said that these people should be fired. Uh, he referenced one uh, as being a son of a bitch. It was pretty obvious that he meant Colin Kaepernick. Sure, yeah. Um, generally, anyone at the NFL protesting by yeah they they mean, or whatever they mean, mean other means yeah they mean Colin Kaepernick. Um, so this was odd because this speech had a few moments where it veered off course. Uh, there was the yeah. point with him mimicking Hillary Clinton taking firearms away from private citizens, yeah. walking, ambling around the stage, um, but. This stood out because he called a private citizen a son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, that was kind of despicable. But Well, the crowd cheered, of course. Yeah, but of the course. rest of us, like, total absence, I think, initially of, of understanding, like, how to respond to this. Like, yeah. There's been so many firsts with him mm-hmm. uh, in this office. That... Yeah, and the thing is, <laughs> we've, we've, like, son of a bitch is so far behind the line that he's now crossed that it's not even <laughs> if you look at it in retrospect he's done far worse yeah um like there are reports that this week he was mimicking john mccain when he did the thumbs down in a way that um that was meant to insult the fact that that he suffers from um right <laughs> the wounds that he that he received when he was in the hanoi hilton um, so, the, I mean, we've crossed all lines of I mean, decency. Let's not forget the civility. actual explicit mocking of a disabled, of a disabled person. Absolutely. And how they move. So, so they... we, we, have, oh. we, we have crossed all this is, lines. This was JV. But yeah, for, this was, this was low key Trump. But it started a national discussion that it really shouldn't have. Again, where Fox News decided to relitigate the Colin Kaepernick case. Um, in a fashion that is just so hypocritical. Well, so this, it's never been dropped. Like in the sports talk radio world, at least, this thing has always been at least an underlying part of the conversation as people started protesting more and more. Now it's the focus. Uh, but this issue itself has been around for quite a while, like you had mentioned. I mean, yeah. I mean, it goes all the way back to the Black Power Fist. Yeah, the, sure. Uh, the Olympics. At the Olympics. Yeah. So whew, where do we start? Where do you want to tackle it? Um, let's start with our assessment of Trump's comments and whether or not they're warranted. So there's a basic question here. Like, is this something the president should be concerning himself with? No, just absolutely not out the gate. Like, um, does this, should this should hit his radar? Tell, he should not be telling an entertainment industry how to hire and fire. You would think uh, that he'd had a, other things on his plate. Yeah. Like maybe the fact that a U.S. territory is without power. Yeah. Um, or the fact that um, sections of the ACA that ensured that children would be provided health care are now belly up because yeah. of actions within the White House. Or maybe the reality that uh, drinking water throughout the United States is now in questionable quality. So it's really an important thing to address uh, the NFL and doing literally nothing when the national anthem is playing. Yeah. But the thing is, Trump is not a legislator. Trump is... More of an entertainer. And we've had presidents like that before. That's not a unique position he's carved out for himself. Ronald Reagan did that um, to, a, mm. to a certain extent, really only Ronald Reagan. And Andrew, I'd say Andrew Jackson, but Andrew Jackson also essentially uh, fought back uh, the idea and kind of fought the entire national banking system. So, yeah, Trump is really kind of unique. He stands a little bit with Reagan in just being a feel-good president, but... What makes Trump unique is that he's feel good only to this segment of the population that is driven by 
the lesser parts of their character. Yeah, I feel like this was another one of those bury your head in your hand and embarrassment moments, similar to when he was up at the uh, UN giving a speech and you see the exact moment when he just goes off the rails. He goes off script. They put him in another rally, and, and we'll right? and we'll touch that. I think we should touch. On, we'll come back to on, it on the UN thing. We'll we'll but, do, but we'll do Trump, that last. We'll Trump close actually with the UN today. commenting on this. I think we should acknowledge it as again him going off script. This is yeah. not a this is not a cabinet thing. This is not an administrative and policy I, thing. This is just an individual, one man just going off the rails like he continues to go off the yeah, rails. Yeah, and I heard again. someone equate it to. Um, someone equate it to when Obama said on a hot mic moment that that was it. Kanye West? Yeah, he referred to Kanye West as a jackass, laughingly. Totally different scenario. Who tried to equate... We'll not, we're not going to get into that. Um, you know him. Wow. Um, um, <laughs> hot mic, not on the air, moments, and the word jackass don't compare but, remotely to... But let's let's also remember that Trump was behind uh, behind a lectern that, that housed the presidential seal. So he was using his bully pulpit... That's my point, yeah. ...as, as, as the commander-in-chief, as the head of state... To call out an individual within his own country and claim that he is unpatriotic. So right. let's let's unpack the argument that the unpatriotic part that people make because this this. Um, All right, let's play should, devil's advocate here. Yeah, sure. Let's assume there was reason to call these guys out. What's the reason? Uh, there was a reason to call out Colin Kaepernick and the people kneeling. Yeah, let's so devil's the, advocate. The right, there's a common, side of the country. The that most common argument is saying that pe- is that that is to say that people bleed and die under this flag. Which is true. Sure, yeah. But what's your point? Like, how does that apply to this situation? Yeah. Everything I've heard is always uh, finds its way back to it's disrespectful, essentially. Like, you're disrespecting the flag. Yeah, here's the thing about that. I have a lot to say about that. Yeah, we we already disrespect the flag so innately. I mean, we we wear it on clothing. We put it on beer bottles. We let companies market products with the American flag. So it is already thoroughly disrespected. So Colin Kaepernick actually kneeling before it is not a unique practice. Soldiers who were drafted and were in bases throughout Vietnam would kneel often in front of the American flag rather than stand with their arm raised. Yeah. So this is actually not a unique sense of like civil protest. Yeah. This is actually probably the most respectful thing an individual can do in front of the flag rather than to stand with their, their hand on their heart. We get unpacking that idea of just respecting the flag in general. Like, yeah. What does that mean? The flag's not a person, right? Yeah, no, so and, we don't know like the flag what is, that person does respect or doesn't respect. And the flag is not uh, the Constitution. The flag was something you put on a ship so that the East India Company knows that they might accidentally intercept an, an American man sure. of war. Sure. I mean, that's its practical uses back then. But today... What today, is it actually supposed to? Because there's an argument that the flag a, should represent something today, generally, when it comes to a sim, being a symbol. Okay, it says this is the this is the United States. Yeah. I, so to me, there's a little more than that. There, it's supposedly to represent right, our me, values, the principles and the values of the United States. But those are more, but those are more important than the flag itself. But let's keep unpacking that. I okay. don't. I don't think we have to ignore that. Sure. In the quest to show these people no, that you're this is not right. disrespectful. Like the, the principles and the values that so, make up America are peaceful protests. How come the the girl tweeting that Colin Kaepernick is a moron and should be fired and blah, 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 and in her Twitter profile has the American flag on as the top of her bikini, how is Colin Kaepernick the one engaging in disrespectful behavior? I mean, I don't think the bikini is... 
disrespectful, but I don't think it actually goes against either. It actually goes against the U.S. code on how to properly. Ah, the bikini is not the flag. No, no, no. Of course, of course, but it's actually against U.S. code to market products with the American flag. We just we just let it happen. So if you want to actually look at things that have been stipulated on what's disrespectful, you will never find anything about kneeling. I feel like what you will find are do rags being deemed disrespectful. Of course. I don't think it's disrespectful. But you don't you don't justify don't, don't Colin di- Kaepernick stuff by saying they that, sell the American flag on do rags. Like I, I think that's an easy way to, to to. I think it misses the point though. Like you're not gonna sway well, someone on the other side that, of the aisle. I personally that by kneeling in front of it and by standing up for whatever he believes as an individual within the United States as an American citizen is actually respecting the flag. And that's the direction. And I engaging would go in. in in silent and civil protest is one of the most American things you can do. And it's using the your, most American. And using your platform Look, as a sports celebrity to do so is extraordinarily patriotic. This country exists because a group of people chose to protest against their, their government at the time. The actions of their government, the things that were happening in the country, the ways that they were being persecuted. Absolutely. In their nation and by their government. Mm-hmm. Their actions were to go form another government, to protest against... Their reality. I mean, then let, that's what these people are doing. Let, let's let's take a look. I mean, if you just take a look at the authors of the Federalist Papers and and you just see the principles outlined by Madison and by Hamilton and even to some extent by Jefferson, they would be disgusted by the outrage that that exists in in the right wing sports sphere and the rhetoric that's being uh, espoused by the president of the United States. Yeah, and I think they would take particular uh, <laughs> beef, to use a modern word, with what we yo, define yo, as T- patriotism today. TJ got beef. Thomas Jefferson got beef. Lots of beef. So much Spicy beef. beef. Stuck oh, spicy beef. <laughs> Look, like the idea that being a patriot means robotic uh, response to putting your hand over your heart when the, when the national anthem is sung. And I, I put the... Um, MIA or supporter troops sticker on the back of my truck, or I wear the American flag, all these things that are put into that bucket of being patriotic. These people that defend the accusation that by kneeling in front of the flag, these people are being disrespectful. That's generally the bucket of things that they put into like the, what it means to be a patriot. None of that the framers of the Constitution is, is substantive. The framers of the it's Constitution empty. and the founding fathers wanted a populace that was consistently questioning the, the legitimacy of their leaders, that was, the intentions of their the leaders. The core of their argument for the one and only way you have a government that continues to be by the people and for the and, people is that the people always question it. And not to segue anything, but you didn't see until the 22nd Amendment term limits. Yeah. Right? And here's why. Because the framers of the Constitution intended that we would always kind of be a little upset with our leadership yeah. and that the best term limit you could have was an active populace. Yep. Now, they did question the intelligence of that populace, right? <laughs> but, but they always wanted to give the democratic benefit of the doubt to the population. And what that means is to always be questioning the direction that your country is heading in and also having grievances with the status quo. Yeah. So Colin Kaepernick and all of the other uh, members of the athletic establishment of the United well, States. Well, it's, it's much bigger than him now. You can say pretty much almost the whole of the NFL now. Yeah, is 
Is this a fight Trump should have picked? Who wins? Uh, I don't think anyone wins. I think that's a good question we have to look at because the practical outcomes here is the NFL is suffering a little bit in the sense that they've lost a little bit in ratings. They've lost a little bit in viewership. Those are probably people they didn't want anyways. They're still, even though they've seen a, they're seeing a small decline, they're still the biggest, most profitable sports league by a factor of three to four yeah. over second place. Yeah. They're a huge, huge money printing business. So they lose a little. I think Trump loses with the general public. I think he gains a little more with his already rabid but that's, major minority base. That, that's, that's great. Uh, but that won't, it's unlikely that that will win him a second term. Well, if, if we're applying it against whether or not this will help or hurt him in winning a second term, I, I would have to say no. Because it's just more of the same that we're seeing the practical Donald Trump as president, this is what he values. This is what yeah, he and I just speak can't about. think that he's not shedding off some of the moderates who held their nose and voted for him, right? Because yeah. of their fear of Hillary Clinton. I think what this does is this sets up Donald Trump as the perfect individual to primary. I mean, if if there was if John Kasich is eyeing this the way that you know Theodore Roosevelt eyed the White House after Taft screwed up everything he did. There is a chance that somebody sees an opening here because of just how inept he is, and he makes it clearer every day. So yeah. this is a threat not only to to Trump, but to the broader Republican Party. And they should have had a little bit more of a spine for their own interests, not not for the Constitution. Screw that. They don't care about that. Nobody cares about that. But to to their own interests, they should have stepped up and said, while we disagree with the intentions or the methods of Colin Kaepernick's protest, we support his right to do so. Yeah. Right? In the same way that you support the right of the most uh, horrendous parts of our population airing their their um, dirty laundry and grievances out on the side of the highway. Yeah, the party itself has been as... Bindless as it's been in this first nine months. Yeah, but now it's actually going to be to but, their detriment. So, the actually, a curious question. Do you think at any point from November onward, the party thought that they would have a primary election where Trump would be the obvious candidate, that they wouldn't run competition? Oh, yeah. They wouldn't no, run absolutely. in Absolutely. Okay. So, because I think what they thought was going to happen... And you're seeing this again with Roy Moore in the Senate. They're like, oh, well, he's a conservative, so he'll sign anything we give him, right? <laughs> they, they, this illusion has to, has to really uh, be broken. And, and this really should bring us to, to our second segment. And this is Trump and the Republican Party. Yeah. What a seamless transition. <laughs> um, it's only seamless when you don't state <laughs> the transition is coming. Uh, we'll get better at that. But let's let's talk about this because <laughs> while we're on the topic, um, there there still seems to be a problem with Trump and the broader Republican Party, and there seems to be a problem with the Republican Party and figures within the Republican Party. It goes back and forth. Like they both are upset with each other for a yeah. bevy of different reasons. Yeah. So let's let's start with um, with John McCain. Okay. This uh, and the ACA. This the ACA and, repeal. The, and the ACA and the fact that people are booing this man when Trump invokes his name in speeches. These are Republicans. At the rally. I mean, you expect that at Of the course, rallies. but let's talk about it because these people should be the same people that probably voted for him in 2008. So let's be honest in asserting that 
this Republican Party, or at least this faction of the Republican Party, something happened to them. They're, you, Don't you think they just always booed and cheered at whatever the kind of script of these rallies this led is, them to boo and cheer is, about? This is different. Because this used to be the bread and butter of the Republican Party, you know, war heroes from 50 years ago. Um, th- this is a man... Y- you cannot, in, with one hand, claim that somebody who is kneeling before the American flag is unpatriotic while you jeer sure. at someone who was in <laughs> a prison camp for five years. Mm-hmm. You can't claim that you are more patriotic than someone who sits when the national anthem plays. What happened to this segment of the population. Because there are a lot of things you can say about John McCain. But you should never, there should never be a hot take about John McCain that doesn't just go beyond, I disagree with his position on, on the policy, and doesn't end with, I'm thankful for his service. Because this man is the poster child of what that sort of militaristic upbringing, sacrifice for the, for the state of, uh, or sacrifice for the nation, and then serving in a public capacity. He is supposed yeah. to be a lion of the Senate. I don't know that I would equate whatever, you know, 20, 15 to 20,000 people that the, not, I wouldn't even really say the party, it's some combination of the party and Trump's staffers were able to pack into that building for that rally with uh, any slice of really the Republican Party. When you're making that comparison, going back to what happened yeah. from the days when these yeah. people vote for him in 2008 to these people now, oh, it's very so possible my question to you would be: My them. question you would be stating that, but also wanting to figure out if there is a big section of the Republican Party that is leaning this way. Have we seen anything, whether Polling. it be in the in the House Polling. or the Senate? Uh, John McCain's uh, approval rating is really low amongst Republicans. Okay, absurdly low, which is insane. I mean, to, to, I, I, it's truly insane that, that this man who was really the poster child for the RNC, I mean, truly, has now become a toxic figure within his party. Well, I mean, if you're measuring toxicity by those that impede the party from achieving the objectives and goals they're aiming to achieve, he's, quote unquote, pretty toxic. Yeah, um, but the problem, the problem is... Trump disrespected this man in a way that should be considered broadly unacceptable. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And to if the if the bill was we will give every child a unicorn, you can still understand why McCain would be hesitant to vote for it if it was something that the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, was pushing. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you as far as what's happened to the party and that they and, they view John McCain this way. I don't know that I'm yet ready to assign. They're like vitriolic, disgusting representations of him that Trump is responsible for to the whole party. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to apply that to the entire party, but it's a significant portion. At least those that go to the rallies. It's and, a significant portion. Trump wouldn't have been able to trounce everyone in the primaries if this wasn't a significant portion. I wonder I, what I think percent, that's the reality. It's it, it 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 would be disheartening to see. I mean, I have read a little bit about how it's a, a mighty struggle nowadays to get people at the rallies versus what it was like November and pre-November yeah. and stuff because well, I think there's a lot more of, and more of the parties fading further away. Uh, but the problem is them. I think it's also not just the party, but I think there's a large contingent of the population that 
really did agree with his message and the worst parts of his message, and that's why they came out to vote, and that was it. Yeah. That it was a silent majority kind of thing. Like, nobody voted for Nixon twice. So yeah. <laughs> people, people always want to claim maximum deniability. So they'll, if, if Trump is a hot topic, if Trump is in vogue, they'll be behind him. But tr- if Trump is no longer uh, able to assert his political capital uh, to the broader voting populace... Yeah. Then they'll act as though they never knew who he was. Well, and to your point, to play devil's advocate, my own devil's advocate, there's recent interviewing I've been, been seeing on TV and, and reading about where people still are holding fast to the claims that Trump has accomplished more in his first hundred days than Obama did in eight years. And right. like the whatever messaging is being put out there, there's a significant portion that's buying into it, you know, and yeah. uh, wanting to spread the word. So, all right, so Trump at this rally. We saw more of what we expected from Trump, but seeing his relationship with the party, it seems like he's getting more and it's, more contentious. It's dissipating, and the problem is it's only getting worse for them. So people people thought there'd be a backlash from the moderate wing of the party that was going to say, all right, screw the establishment of the Republican Party because clearly they don't they don't have a grasp on this, but let's not run to the right. Let's go even more common-sense conservatism. Yeah, that's what that's what people thought was going to happen. So people like <laughs> Mitch McConnell thought they were safe. Right, right. The problem is now, it seems to be going the opposite direction. And uh, we're seeing vote, this in Louisiana, right? We're seeing this with with in Louisiana. We're seeing this with Roy Moore. Yeah. We're seeing this with um, Paul Ryan. Yeah. And we're seeing this with um, a gubernatorial race. What about? But, but we'll get there. Okay. Well, okay. I was going to say, what about Strange? Oh, Strange is done. Gone. Bye. Lost. Lost the program. Really? Yeah. Ryan Moore won. Wow. Did you miss this? I did. Oh, wow. You just... I was working. You walked into, you walked into a landmine. <laughs> so, Corey, the moderate hey, loss... this is with zero authority. <laughs> it's totally expected. Yeah. The, the moderate lost to a guy who claimed that Muslims should not be in Congress. Wow. That 9-11 was God punishing America for its perverseness that said uh, homosexuality should be illegal or, or punishable by some sort of thing. Um, this is a guy that the Republican Party should be afraid but of. But this is a guy that was kind of establishment, and then he had twice been he some was a judge. judge. This yeah. isn't like some loony on a farm that no, decided no, you know, to run he's, for office. He's, he's still been a, in office. He's still a lunatic. It's just he, yeah. he's, he's managed to hold office. But Trump... So let's let's go back so to Trump, Trump though, because Trump, at a rally, yeah, he couldn't decide which of these two guys he liked the but most. But let's talk about what that rally was about. That <laughs> rally was Luther Strange's rally, <laughs> and then he goes there and he says, "Maybe I supported the wrong guy." Uh, this is know. a Luther what Strange do you think, rally. Luther? I mean, that's unbelievable. And and <laughs> the thing is, then Paul Ryan, like a week later, is interviewed by Sean, a little less than a week later, is interviewed by Sean Hannity. Uh, <laughs> And, Sean, and Paul Ryan goes, oh, it's it's uh, we we have a great relationship. Of course, everything's always I, great according I, to Paul Ryan. I fucking love the president. <laughs> like, if we could only get that quote. This Paul Ryan has essentially uh, submitted to the president, and in doing so, just ruined his political career. I mean, there's no way Paul Ryan will ever be president of the United States. I can call it now; it's not happening. Um, I, We've seen how good we've been at predicting shit. Oh no, but th- no, but now like this, this is a conventional political 
prediction. Not like an alien has come down to Earth and is shooting laser beams. This is Paul Ryan will never be able to run for president successfully. I don't know. He's got P90Xs back, man. Yeah, man. Don't underestimate yeah, man. him. The, those abs. Those, ab- <laughs> those abs could make America swoon. <laughs> but... <laughs> All right, so Luther Strange, this rally is just so completely Luther, Luther backwards. Strange loses, and <laughs> they, they asked a Republican senator whose name has now escaped me um, <laughs> what they thought about Roy Moore. And they just said, well, I've heard he's for tax reform. <laughs> if that doesn't embody the entire... Yeah. Republican Party in 2017. I don't know what does. So does you, Trump you have could any get a homophobic, now? Islamophobic maniac, and as long as you supported some sort of half-assed tax reform, yeah, they're like cool with it. I need more money, man. <laughs> so does Trump get invited to any more of these competitive races to oh, supposedly yeah. speak for the quote-unquote eventual moderate to, to speak the, for the, the guy moderate. that's going to win? No, and the thing is, this came down to 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 Bannon versus Trump as well because Bannon was behind Roy Moore, obviously. Uh, yeah, he's his and, guy. And uh, Trump was behind Luther Strange. And Bannon campaigned for, for Roy Moore quite a bit. So then Trump changes his tune. It, it's really weird because there's this dance. Because one of Trump's major media outlets when he reads shit is Breitbart. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Trump loves the idea of reading negative stories about himself on his favorite news website. Um so Trump is now doing this kind of delicate dance where he has to be just crazy enough to appease Breitbart and just sane enough so that Lindsey Graham doesn't come out and say he's just outright mad. Um, but not for any big strategic reason. That's just no, his ego. It's just his ego. And and I, 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 he just wants everyone to like him. Yeah, and this is where I have to scold the Republican Party because Democrats were – making this point long before the pro- the Republican presidential primary was over, that Trump isn't a Republican. Um, yeah. And you can just see that in the fact that Trump has donated quite a bit of money to Chuck Schumer over the past 30 years. Yeah, sure. So uh, in that alone, that should have been a bit of a, a bit of a red flag. But he's not indicator. a Democrat. I mean, he's, he's an not opportunist. a Democrat. He's a Trumpist. But he was. Yeah, a, I mean, he just serves himself. Yeah. So this idea that well, Trump was going to be that that guy that was just like screaming at the wall, but whenever you handed him like a conservative bill to sign, that he'd do it. That yeah. was erroneously founded. Not the case. Because Trump, Trump essentially came out and said the AHCA was mean. That's not a ringing endorsement from from the uh, from the Oval Office. Well, and he jumped right into parties. bed with Pelosi. In oh, front yeah, of Ryan immediately, um, oh, but we have a great, just we have a taking great, advantage we, of the we, opportunity. We, but but Corey, we have a great relationship. <laughs> that was all about the ego, yeah. again. Uh, the yeah. ego as well as like putting people in their place. You remember the video of him pushing in front of everyone so he can be the front of the stage as leader of the free world. And that made this him was him so slapping small. McConnell and Ryan. In front of their opposition, yeah, because they failed to to pass repeal. In and place. you know, to to Trump's credit. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I think you gotta do that. So so maybe in his lunacy, this is something that strategically made sense. I mean, that's the mythology of like the yeah, I mean, the he, CEO. He's, he's the crazy boyfriend who thinks that by like not texting back his high school girlfriend, he was that, negging that Paul Ryan and like, McConnell. He's like punishing her yeah. for for not being like effective enough. Um, so this. This is weird. So very alpha. This is just so weird. Um, yeah. 
I, I don't know what to say, really. Other well, than the, the, the Republican Party is you. I, I can't identify with. with I, well, I, I don't identify with it, but I can't ident- properly identify it. I don't actually know what its philosophy is, other than, oh my God, the Browns. Well, and they don't have the ally in the White House that they thought they had. Yeah, so Republican policy. They almost. I think the only no thing they can agree they they can agree on is. Um, Islamic fundamentalism scary. I think that's really the only thing they can all come together. But you even get some division around that in the Senate and other places. Like there's there's people who are intelligent enough to realize. Like John McCain? Yeah. (laughs) Like John McCain. Well. Uh, I think that's about it. Um, Flake as well. Jeff Jeff Flake to a certain extent. I'm sure he's had his share of comments knowing him. Um, I'm still. Jeff Flake has matured as a senator, but, but we'll leave him for another. Still though, the conversation of trying to get people to recognize up front the distinction that to say all Muslims blank. Yeah. You're saying that one plus billion people, mm-hmm. the entirety of a religion a thing. blank. Yeah. That's the hardest thing to start when it's you begin just, those conversations because just, you can't begin like that. If we want to talk about radical fundamentalist terrorists, I mean, and this is the problem. Let's do that. They, 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 they present themselves or at least through their presidential candidate they present themselves as being a populist party right because trump is a populist mm. yeah. yeah yeah that side of the spectrum's popular uh, populist sure yeah he's a populist um but the rest of their party at least the the pocketbook of the party is very much exactly where the republican party was in like the 1920s yeah really business oriented really industry uh sure. re- really uh Auto industry oriented. It's just it's still puritanical. Ex- it's still, yeah. I mean, that's that's mostly f- since Nixon, probably. Eh, yeah. yeah, yeah. With Nixon and the the quiet racism, but, um, yeah. No, it hasn't changed since Nixon. Really, it was. I don't know what they are. I mean, I to me, and granted, I'm on the other side of the aisle. You're on the other side of the aisle. I see a, f- a quote unquote friend of big big business. Right. Yeah. That's clear. They made that very apparent. But they, but they don't uh, want but to. I be, don't know what else they're offering, uh, other than racism, bigotry, homophobia. They're, they're exactly where conservative politics was when uh, the parties needed to change. They, they've got an entire voting populace that is just obsessed with racism. I mean, it is the it is it has always been the dirty secret of conservative politics in the United States, and that's not to say that there aren't conservative solutions to problems that aren't legitimate. But the unfortunate reality, all too often, is that. Conservative politicians rely on espousing conservative social policy positions that they social maybe that yeah. they maybe don't even agree with, just to keep people who are not informed enough to have a discussion about taxation. Because who is really informed enough to have a discussion about the minutia that is the U.S. tax code? That they have to rely on these more dogmatic, do- like these more dogmatic, uh, demagogish platforms. To, to keep these people interested. It's a shame. It's a shame that the Republican Party has relied on on appealing to people's worst elements of themselves. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln always said that you had to appeal to people's better angels, right? And the Democratic Party tries most of the time. It's, it's shifted in the last probably eight years. It's shifted since Obama's taken office. But the Republican Party has appealed... To, to the devils inside of people that are just raging. But well, that's your interpretation. I, I think we can agree racism, the, uh, racism bad. Racism, of course. 
Um, abortion, not necessarily. No, this not is saving life versus Absolutely. murdering you life. Can, you can make it Guns, own. not necessarily. This is my right to defend myself. But I versus... think if, if it really came down to it, the, and you see this with the polling uh, as it relates to Trump's border wall, the most important thing are these social policies that relate to immigration. But that's, uh, from the Republican point of view, if it's racist, it's incidentally racist because primarily it's about border security, national security, Securing our economy. Bullshit. Things like, but bullshit from your point of view, but from when they tell the story and when they internalize the reasons. But they never have. They're a, legit. But they they're ne- genuine. But they never have an issue with Western European immigration. Of course, like we're not. They haven't broken it down on a nuanced level and say, "Here's my argument for why I buy that this idea that we need national, you know, security around our borders because there's supposedly a real problem there, which there isn't." Um, but to to themselves. They've convinced themselves that's their argument. Yeah. And I agree with you. It's a bullshit argument. But to your point earlier, when the general comes around, it's not decided on the nuanced details of tax code it's or decided on, on the abortion, g- guns, the guttural, border security. The guttural feeling of uh, these more, dare I say, primal instincts, these tribal feelings. It's still a popularity contest at the end of the day. Yeah. It's about winning favor with the biggest number of people. And unfortunately, in this country, the biggest number of people within the Electoral College that will get you the win, even if you lose the popular vote. Yeah. But. They're, they're hiding away in, in, uh, in towns that have been uh, essentially rusting. With, yeah, and you can and see why those to, people would and be... To, their, to, their, uh, to that point... The Republic, uh, the Democratic Party needs to do a better job of reaching out to these people. Even if, even if uh, people within the Democratic Party believe that some of the beliefs of these people are deplorable, but what a lot of Democrats have always said is that we need to be the party for uh, <laughs> Hispanic immigrants and you know less politically aware people with. People Confederate who flags on the back of their truck, right? Because at the end of the day, it should be policies that are practical, right, that win. Um, and I think the Democrats can truly win on a platform that has to do with, um, let's say, ensuring that everyone has access to health care, real access to health care, not, not Republican, small a access. I don't think that will ever win in general. I think it's got to be a part of their platform, but I think they have to lead with something else. And then what is it? Well, with Obama, it Acceptance? was change. Hope and change. Okay, but those people, And that's a but message. But the thing is, the people in the Rust Belt said that we saw neither of those. Because I don't think that was why they didn't get out and vote for Hillary. I don't think they said... We're part of the Obama coalition. I don't, think, I don't think they were voting against Hillary. I think they were proactively voting for Trump. I, I don't buy... Well, it depends which which segment of the Rust Belt we're talking about. Yeah. Because there was a lot of analysis that went into those that were part of the Obama coalition and were supposed to vote and did it. But anyways, that's a, that's a whole other topic. Let's steer it back toward, I guess, a little bit of the Rust Belt, what you were talking about earlier with the towns that uh-huh. are really just falling apart and are, are nowhere near representative of what they were mm-hmm. you know, 10, 20 years ago in the industrial era. Um, there's an argument who made this, this whole appeal to tax reform uh, makes sense for them and to them and their pocketbooks and their businesses. Yeah. Um, 
but I really feel like sadly we're seeing going to see with this whole argument the same outcome we saw with the theory around trickle down economics. Like the Republican Party bought into this idea that tax cuts for the rich were going to eventually trickle on down and, and result in more money in their pockets. But the problem is we attempted it three times. I don't. Do you feel like Trump is messaging this round of tax breaks with the same type of? No. Yeah, I, I feel like no, he, they've realized actually, they have to message it differently. Yeah, he's now. actually just straight up lying, <laughs> um, which is fine, right? Like you do what you got to do politically. I mean, it's a little morally questionable, but Trump has figured out that the truth doesn't matter. You don't even have to spin it. You can just straight up lie. Um, he's certainly at least in this initial announcement about their uh their their push to to get tax reform in just using the the five minute quips and talking points that yeah. have been but, floating around for the last but those, decade those those talking points and quips that they're they're presented differently so it used to actually be a little nuanced so the uh it used to be like an adam smith level uh economic theory of it, like and broken glass theory things like that but it used to be so what we do is we lower corporate taxes, we lower personal income taxes for individuals that we believe are more active in the market. Not true, but let's just continue. They believe that the upper echelon economically of the United States will be more willing to spend if we lower their taxes. Um, so what that means for you is that your employers are going to, to, to give you more benefits. They are going to raise your pay uh, and you're going to be able to, to buy more things. And because you're going to be able to buy more things, that will stimulate the United States economy. They didn't actually believe, like the Laffer curve doesn't actually truly state that the um, the wealthy spend more. It's actually this idea that business owners will treat their employees better because of a tax be more cut. benevolent. Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> I'm so <laughs> sick of this debate. That there are people who are. Who, there are professors at my university who are in their late 60s who have seen the failure of, um, of the, of, I guess you would call it like Austrian school economics and S Smith type. No, not Austrian. That's the, that's the one form of economics we haven't ever employed in this country. Keynesian economics has been like the core of we, everything since the Great Depression. Well, the Keynesian economics is really what the left advocates for. We, we engage in basically just really low-key laissez-faire is what I would say. We just, we leave well, it to this them. This conversation is going in an interesting direction. <laughs> we, we, we leave it to the wealthy and then everything else will will seem to work out. I mean, the, ever since the recovery of the Great Depression, uh, being fueled by government spending being the first place that you yeah, create economic activity. it's funny, it's funny economic how that's activity. the era that everybody points to as being the best Days. But that's still what we do. I mean, that's still the foundation of yeah, what we do as an economy. Now, that's why we had quantitative easing but, print out of course, over a trillion dollars to stimulate economic growth. That that was a a monetary policy that did not exist in the era of the Great Society. And but it uh, lines right up with the sure, idea but that it's you not stimulate the but economy. But it's not Keynesian economics. That's it's, the core of Keynesian it's, economics. It's 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 Keynesian economics put on cocaine. That red Ayn Rand. I mean, it's it's a totally different interpretation of Keynesian economics. Good point. Keynesian it's the extreme version when you let it run for about six decades. Is essentially just laissez-faire works, but it needs to be regulated. That's it. That's it. And and that sometimes it takes government intervention in really really complex economies to to fix problems. 
But and, and I subscribe to, to Keynesian economics because I'm not a pure libertarian, right? Um, yeah, I mean, that's one, one, one area in which we differ pretty strongly because I'm more Austrian school mm-hmm. of economics when it comes to Hayek versus Keynes. But that's like the, that's the age-old traditional debate. Like we've been YouTube historic rap battles of Keynes versus Hayek. So that is what it is, and that's maybe an interesting pod down the road. Who knows? But we're definitely still on that whole track of start with government spending. But I think crony goes out of control. We can't, we can't, I think we can't conflate crony capitalism with Keynesian economics. Because Keynes wouldn't say, yes, this is the system I wanted. I mean, that, yeah, but it's still the label everyone uses. But, but, like, but let's remember why we got to this point, right? We got to this point because of unchecked lobbying, <laughs> immense amounts of money spent on specific senatorial and house and house races like 20 years ago. And the the complete dissolution of federally funded campaigns. So we've gotten to a point where... Wait, what point are you talking about, though? Those things got us to what? The Iron Triangle got us to where we are with this mutated version of Keynesian economics that doesn't have to do with just regulating industries. Instead, it has to do with business feeds government, government feeds business. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Got us at $20 trillion in debt. Uh, well, yeah, starting two wars and cutting taxes will definitely do that. Sure, sure. Because we're burning a candle at both ends. I mean, depending on who you talk to, wars in a great, fantastic economic stimulator. So, the, I, I, But I guess industry is different now than it was then. Not the defense. I mean, <laughs> you have, I mean, there's applause in boardrooms of defense industry companies when we go to war. Yeah, when sure, we no, bomb it's, Syria. It's, we, it's great. It's great for it's great for specific industries, but it's not like the United States engaging in the Lend Lease Act and going into World War II, where we had to essentially engage in like pseudo total war. But we're totally off track. Yeah, right I'm now. still. I'm just talking to like the last two decades. Yeah, or no, so. absolutely. But all right, we are off track. So let's bring it back to Trump. Let's bring it back to his proposals around tax reform, and specifically, we're not going to pay for it. That's essentially what, <laughs> what his tax reform is. We are going to cut taxes for a specific section of the population, and in fact, it's not even that important because the personal income tax really that what we've seen, and we haven't seen a full CBO report. And to be honest, I'm not really interested in reading one if I'm just going to be really honest, uh, because I. <laughs> I, I was, you don't want to give it a chance? I was intrigued by the one about the AHCA, but this one I'm just going to refer to the Brookings Institute. Whatever they say is whatever I'll end up believing. Um, but this really does come down to whatever the, um, the corporate tax is going to be. Well, let's, let's break it out a little more um, let's talk layman-ish, about, I guess, do, do, for those that— Do you want to talk about U.S. fiscal policy? No, not at all. Not even remotely. Let's, let's do this. Let's make it more general, though. In short, Trump came out and made an announcement about going his to cut proposal. He's basically said taxes paid by the wealthy and by corporations are going to decrease. That means the government is going to make less money. And you would think generally, if you're making less, you got to come up with a replacement for those lost dollars somewhere. He's not put forth anything other than to say, the, we'll close some tax loopholes. And the thing to is, offer up a, a solution for how you're going to make up for this lost revenue. But the thing is, they, they think that they're going to make up for it down the road by just increasing... I don't think he cares if he makes up for it. The, the, by, remember the whole 6% thing? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to... Even the most conservative and the, 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 the most heavy-hitting proponents of, of this uh, tax reform bill are saying... Uh, we might get to like 3.2, which is abs- an absurd idea to think that you can uh, get absolutely. to 3.2 yeah. growth with this. But um, 
so the thing is there are no details, but we know that he's going to cut corporate taxes, which is not an inherently bad idea, but the problem is if you don't offset that properly, and the only real way to offset it is to increase personal income tax for, for the top two brackets. Or severely, severely cut spending. Yeah, but you would need like draconian cuts because remember, yeah, I mean, corporate, you have very few options on the table, and they're about, all draconian. Corporate taxes make up for about nine to ten percent of the United States tax revenue. Yeah, and the only thing higher than it is social insurance and and then personal income tax, and uh, so it's really dangerous to mess with corporate income tax. It's really, really, really dangerous, especially when you look at. I think we need to take a more holistic view right now. Well, not you, because you definitely don't. I do. I <laughs> certainly do. Um, so I certainly need to take a more holistic view when I look at this. And this just hit me now. If we look at the broader picture, um, there's a problem. Because it seems like there are three zones where the United States might have to actually engage in some sort of military operation that could be highly problematic or and i'm looking at places like venezuela north korea and can i just say the puerto rico yeah <laughs> puerto rico that was a joke. and then we well yeah, and, and well not military but hey, assets of course assets yeah, in puerto yeah. rico assets in houston assets in florida and who knows because november always kicks the shit out of the northeast yeah. so whatever happens there this is really not the time to talk about like the cutting taxes but and even more plainly like emptying the coffers even more for the federal government yeah like we have yeah. plenty of things we have to spend money on this is not the time to cut our salaries you know yeah. down by 20 percent for the federal government the problem also the, the problem also is um that again going back to my my more broad perspective here that I'm going to try to take. Who knows what will happen? I'll Just keep wish, pulling you back to specifics. Wish, wish me luck. Um, <laughs> it, it seems like if we mess with the tax code too much in the same way that Bush 2 did, and then we engaged in some sort of expensive uh, pursuit, whatever, whether that's foreign military entanglements or disaster relief, anything that has a huge price tag, who ends up paying for that? And can we really balloon the the debt to a point where our deficit spending and our discretion and and to connect it back to our discretionary spending has to be put into question, right? There is only there's only you, you don't want we to have always another, pay for it. Like there's no question around oh, yeah, who's no, going to pay for it. It will be you and I, of course. But I just don't know if right now is the time to talk about cutting taxes when they failed when they failed to pass healthcare reform, right? You still move. The, the only reason they wanted to pass healthcare reform was to eventually pass these taxes. Yeah. Let, well, actually, let's let's get to that specific question: whether or not this will pass, and what the odds are of it passing. And let's let's before we talk about this one specifically, let's go back. The repeal of of Obamacare failed because they had at least three staunch opponents that they had to convert in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, they failed in that conversion. Are there any? Senators right now, because this only requires a fifty-one vote majority. No, everybody that stand like, in opposition to tax reform. Everybody kind of likes this. It's, so how does it not pass? The House is going to pass it. Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna take um, a ton of. The thing is, it's so easy to galvanize the public on issues like healthcare, right? It's a lot harder 
to galvanize the public about fiscal policy, especially when the problems are going to be down the road. Yeah, the Democratic Party has got to do a much better job of finding a way to message the negative consequences of this Look, in a way people understand. Indivisible did a and good we'll care job. About. MoveOn.org did a good job. It's just I don't know if they're going to be able to mobilize Not the good way enough. that they were. They, when they, look, they killed they killed this health care. No, no, no. I'm talking specifically about tax reform. Yeah. They, they're not doing a good enough job. Because I actually do not see the same groundswell of opposition that I saw with the AHCA. Yeah. So if you can kill Graham Cassidy, you can kill this. But it's, it's going to take more. Because the thing is, a bad tax bill becomes... It's not going to be a voting issue. It just won't. You remember the person that took your health care away. You don't remember the person who changed an element in the tax code that created this problem that increased the deficit. Well, no one's going to feel it because we'll just finance more debt. Yeah. If it becomes a problem. And it will become a problem because actually things are already a problem. And we just answer those problems with more finance uh, debt. Uh, and it's the same path we're on. Eventually, the interest on our debt will be the biggest thing. We already can't happen. afford interest payments on our debt. We currently finance debt to pay the interest on our current debt. Like, there's a lot of people who would point to about two, three years ago when this whole momentum and trajectory around when will we pass the point of no return when it comes to national debt was passed. Yeah. Now, there's, there's a whole lot of debate around that. Um, and you get a lot of strong opposition, but it is what it is. That's not a threat that you can really take to people and have them feel in their living room. No, exactly. And that's why I think there's a good chance this passes. Yeah. Um, because, first of all, Republicans know they got to pass this. So everybody from Lisa Murkowski, yeah, we talked about that earlier. Everybody from Lisa Murkowski to Susan Collins to Ted Cruz to Ron to Rand Paul, who were all in opposition to the AHCA for a plethora of different reasons. Yeah. Rand Paul didn't like it because it wasn't draconian enough. Same with Ted Cruz. <laughs> Lisa Murkowski was scared that people in her state were going to die and that she'd lose her election, which is the only thing she cares about. And uh, Susan Collins seemed to to show that she cared about human beings a little bit, um, but. This is different because this won't actually – it'll just be more it, – it'll just be Bush. It, this is, this this is the only one Bush. that actually matters Yeah. when it comes to Republican donors yep. and contributors and lobbyists. Because like the repeal of Obamacare would be good for a segment the thing is they of industry. They, but they lowering corporate it. taxes matters for every corporation. It puts gains back in the pockets of every corporation. And the Republican Party is financed by business. Yeah. Um, but the concern then becomes they justify it by saying, oh, well, like eight years down the road, productiv- productivity, revenue, it's all going to increase because of these tax cuts. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there has never been any evidence to support this, these theories that they're putting out there. You don't, you don't support the Laffer curve that was drawn on napkin? Uh, no. No. <laughs> I don't. Trickle-down economics. No. The idea that you're going to – I mean, look, you have tons of recent evidence to – to tell you why I you think, shouldn't I buy into this theory. What I, happened when we printed I think, and quantitated it? Well, let me finish. Let me, we printed in about four different batches, hundreds of millions of dollars in quantitative easing. And the whole theory was, one, it would help industry stay afloat, that we're going to die. But it would also be money that they could use to spend and, and re-stimulate the economy and rebuild their businesses. I mean, they also put in Those protection. businesses banked that money. Those banks put that money. Well, they also, there, there were, there were, there was stipulation that said banks had to keep some of that, the reserve ratio. Sure, but that's not the stipulation that mattered. There were stipulations that also said they had to loan a certain amount of that money. Yeah. They only ever loaned yeah. the minimum. The expectation was they would loan much more than the minimum. That money is still yeah, they made unloaned. A, they made a ton of money with, with no risk. Yeah. 
And so yep. if you want any recent evidence, try to get a feeling for what business will do with more money. Yeah. They won't stimulate the economy for yeah, everybody I, else. Can we, they can will we, always only serve I, their interests. I want to hop on, uh, hop off with a really stupid point that maybe you'll like. But I think the just, <laughs> I think, I think the problem with trickle down economics is actually the same as the problem with full fledged communism. Hear me out. It takes human nature. It, it takes this foundational belief that human nature is good, right? That if you give a rich man obscene tax cuts that he will go out and buy a shit ton of candy bars you're absolutely rate, I know right where you're going you're absolutely right and it, it, it's making an assumption about the nature of humanity and that's the exact point that people make yeah. about communism who are proponents of this same policy yeah so who knows it's it's redistribution that's that's what it the is. the idea that corporations will act on the behalf of people oh yeah is ludicrous and, i mean and there are there are uh Corporations that do try to act on the behalf of, of, of people, but, but not first and foremost. Sense, but in this sense, not at all. No, it's 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 never all right. So there are rare, rare organizations that will do things for the good of people purely to do something good for people. The rare times it actually happens substantively outside of that, it's yeah, always this, to serve a PR uh, move, a marketing drive, yeah, and it, some it, other it's, initiative. It's the same way that. Um, that people in in the uh, Russian Soviet, when we refer when we when they were first establishing <laughs> when they were first establishing the USSR, had good intentions. Yeah, uh, of course. That's why libertarianism will never actually work in reality. In theory, it's a great thing. It requires communism. a utopia that doesn't exist. Yep. Communism doesn't work. The idea that <laughs> the idea that we could repeal an executive order that required companies not to pollute our drinking water and that we could just trust them not to pollute drinking water is ridiculous and proven out and that the next month considering nestle they started re-poisoning drinking water yeah considering nestle sold uh baby formula to mothers to mothers in africa that was lined with lead so it's not Uh, higher margins yeah man well we're companies we exist to make profit (laughs) You, you dare judge us we drive the american anyways we off on a fucking tangent, but uh, that does it. Yeah. Another week. Pleasant note to go out <laughs> of. Don't use Nestle anything, really. You know they pay like, God, this is never it, but you know they pay like five fucking dollars for the rights to bottle that water yeah. to the state? Yep. Absolutely. Well, on that note, drink from the tap. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Talk to you guys next time. See you.